We are starting a new sermon series. We're, we're staying in the, in the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, which is really the proper name for the book of Acts. But we're moving beyond. Our circle is getting bigger. Remember, we were in Acts in Jerusalem. And leading up to uh, Feed My Starving Children just a few weeks ago, we were talking about how Fargo, Fargo-Moorhead, the metro, is our Jerusalem. Well, if you look at the map, notice it's expanding for you to recognize what is your Judea and Samaria, the surrounding states, if you will, around Jerusalem. And all of this is building off of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If during this entire time through Acts, if you take away only one thing from our conversation through uh, Easter on the book of Acts, it's memorizing and keeping to heart Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the purpose that you and I are given that has not gone away. Jesus gave it 2,000 years ago on Pentecost, and the mandate is still present. Jesus says, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and with power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That is for us as well. It wasn't just the apostles 2,000 years ago, because the mandate still stands The work of expanding the kingdom of God, of announcing the good news that changes everything, that the old is done and that the new has begun through Jesus Christ, that is for us as well. We are called to be witnesses. Now, every week you're going to hear what that means. And you're going to hear this message over and over again too, if you haven't already. Uh, I'm at least going to keep repeating it to you. Who is God putting on your heart to be a witness to. Now, Pastor Becky talked last week about the evangelist, and we heard about Philip and the Ethiopian, and maybe you even heard that Pastor Becky's um, father was a professional evangelist in the ALC, the the church body before uh, uh, Atonement's current uh, relationship with a group called Lutheran Congregations and Mission for Christ. But an evangelist does not have to be a professional minister. It's everybody. And there's two things. Evangelist is synonymous with witness. It means you're a good newsie. It means you have the gospel on your lips and in your heart. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That God loves you. And that you can love God and love people every single day. Evangelist and witness comes down to really two things. Living it and talking about it. And even if you don't think that you're an evangelist for the gospel, understand that you are an evangelist for something. Because whatever you're interested in, you live it and you talk about it. How many of you love football? Anyone getting ready for the Super Bowl? Yeah. When football season is going on, I live football. Like, I'm all about it. I'll wear the gear. Uh, you can see which team I'm rooting for. I, uh, and I'll talk about it. I'll talk about the teams that I like or I don't like. Um, We're an evangelist for something. Whatever it may be, you're already doing those two things, living it and talking about it. When Jesus tackles you and you discover that he is the way, the truth, and the life, everything that came before did not give meaning, did not give life, did not give purpose, was not the truth, was not the way. Suddenly, living for Christ becomes all that matters. 
But part of living is also talking about it. And so who is God putting on your heart to be a witness to? To show your faith in what you do and to tell them about what you believe. FMSC was a great example for us this year to teach us how to do this. If you've ever wondered, like, I'm not a trained theologian, how, how can I be a witness? You were taught to do this at FMSC. We went and we lived out FMSC. We went and packed. How many of you went and packed? All of you, or, or the vast majority, or prayed, or supported it in some way, and most likely, you probably told someone, hey, come pack. Did anyone tell, ask someone to come pack? That's being an evangelist. That's being a witness. And the excitement that we had at FMSC does not need to end. It does not need to be a once every 10 years. The mandate is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. That you are my witnesses. By how you live your life and telling people about Jesus. Loving God and loving people and telling people Jesus loves you. And you can do that by saying, God, who are you putting on my heart to be a witness to? Who, who do you want me to invite to church? Who are you telling me to invite to church this week? Because we're going to discover that this, which is known historically as the divine service, is tied up in these verses today. Because today we're going to talk about being the chosen instrument. How many of you uh, play a musical instrument? Anybody? Yeah? An instrument is an interesting word. It's, it's a tool. It's an implement. Uh, it means an implement especially designed for precision work. When you begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will talk to you and tell you, hey, tell them about me. Tell them about me. Tell them about me. Since FMSC, and you know, this is, this is for me as well, not you. My job as pastor is not to um, make people come to church. That's actually uh, the job of the people of God. It's all our job to invite others to come and experience the joy that we have, to live and tell about Jesus. But since FMSC, when I found myself listening more, I've had at least four occasions where I felt compelled to invite someone to come to church to invite someone to come on Wednesday nights, to be part of our fellowship, to experience the love of God and love for people that is contagious here in this place and through this people. And that's the only reason those opportunities came is because I was listening for it. And I was praying what I just said to you. Pray, Lord, who are you putting on my heart to be a witness to? And watch how the Holy Spirit works. You become an implement especially designed for precision work. Precision work is precise. It's, it's not just random to anybody. It's aimed in. It's tuned in. It's working on a specific need or, or aiming at a specific purpose and person. Another wor- uh, uh, a definition of instrument is a person or a means whereby something is achieved, performed, or furthered. Today we're going to hear about the conversion of Saul, who, if you were to look at the Bible, aside from Jesus Christ, the person who's had the most impact on the world for the sake of the gospel is the Apostle Paul. He didn't start out that way, but just historically speaking, if you look at what Paul was 
called to be as God's chosen instrument, the impact, the way he's changed the world is second only to Jesus Christ. Most of the New Testament, as we know it, comes from Paul's own words and his letters as he traveled around living his faith and telling others about Jesus, being an evangelist, being a witness to Jesus. And so this week I started asking people, hey, think of some famous person. How big of an impact would they make if they suddenly came on television today and said, hey, uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, he's the son of God, and I'm going to live my life for him according to the gospel, according to to God's needs, by loving God and loving people, and I'm going to tell people that Jesus is the son of God. How much impact do you think they would have? Now, I just want you to think of some celebrities in your own mind, okay, or some famous people. Here's a couple of the names that I was given this week. I asked my staff, I asked other people uh, throughout the week in different situations. The first one is this guy. This is President Xi of China. Now, what you may not know is that China is a communist state, a communist government, and so there's no worship of any gods, Uh, They have uh, some religion, uh, a little bit of religious tolerance in China. It's very, very minimal. Uh, A lot of it is historical. Um, Some of the the worldviews that come out of China are things like Taoism and Confucianism, which is more of um, um, an ethical uh, worldview rather than a belief in God. Uh, But there's also Buddhism. Uh, And to a certain extent, there's an underground movement of the church, which is so um, growing so quickly that in a nation of, of over a billion people, two billion people like China, in a couple of years, if the, if the, if the um, demographics hold across the world, China is going to have the largest Christian population on the planet of any country. And it's an oppressed church. They're persecuted outright. What would happen if President Xi came on TV and said, you know what, I met the Lord Jesus, he is Lord and Savior, I, uh, my whole life has changed and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to tell people about him. Do you think it would have a major impact on the world? Okay, how about this one? Anyone know this guy? Yeah. Kim Jong-un. Uh, like President Xi, uh, North Korea is a totalitarian regime. That is communist, which means uh, no, no religion, no belief in, in God. Uh, he's worshipped as a god, or, the, or supposedly. What would happen if he came out and said, I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm going to live for him, and I'm going to tell others about him. Part of following Jesus and living for him is also confessing your crimes, if you've carried out any crimes, and receiving the consequence of those actions. But you're still set free because of Jesus. Not maybe from jail, but your soul, your life. What an impact would it happen? How, how big would it transform the world if that were to happen? If God tackled Kim Jong-un? What about this guy? So, you may not know this, but Tom Cruise is a witness, and probably the most famous witness or evangelist, for his religion, which is Scientology. Now, imagine if he spoke up 
and said, I've met Jesus, I'm going to live for him, and I'm going to tell others about him. Do you think it would transform the world? Do you think it would have a huge impact? He's already witnessing to what he believes. And he's had a great influence on people becoming Scientologists because of his example. What about her? I mentioned to you earlier that Taylor Swift, if you're a football fan, is the biggest thing in the news right now because she's going to double those, uh, the eyeballs that are watching the Super Bowl. For her, and I don't mean just the commercials, they're going to be watching the game to see if they pan over to Taylor Swift. My own daughter is a fanatical Swifty who's interested in the Super Bowl this year because of Taylor Swift. I don't know if she's a Christian, I really don't. But imagine if she didn't keep silent about it. Imagine if she said, I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm going to live my life following him. I encourage everyone to do so. And I'm going to tell you that Jesus is my Lord. Do you think that would impact the entire world? Do you think it would transform things? Now before I go to the next one, I want to share with you a little bit about Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul. Saul was convinced that he was serving God by arresting, persecuting, punishing, and murdering Christians. There is no difference between the character of Saul and what he thought and how he acted and this next person that I'm going to show you. Do you think it would have made an impact if this person would have been tackled by Jesus? For those of you who remember 9-11, this was the mastermind. This was the guy behind the attack on 9-11 on the United States. And very much against Christians, very much against the Western way of, way of life, what, what kind of an impact would it have made on the world if after those events of 9-11, he would have said, I'm wrong, come on TV and said, I was wrong, I've met Jesus Christ, my life is now his, and I will tell everyone that I believe in him, and come forward and, and take consequences for the actions that he carried out. Do you think that would have had a major impact on the world? It would have changed the way the world is? All of these are to give you an idea about Saul and the chosen instrument that God used him to be. Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way... Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I love how Christianity was called this at the beginning. I think Christianity post-Christendom, we're still getting over kind of a bad rap of Christians not acting like, like Jesus is their Lord. You know, we're all sinners. Or just Christians not, not pointing to Christ, but treating Christianity like some kind of social club. At the beginning, it was called the way. Why is this? Jesus himself says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. So if you follow Jesus, you are a follower of the way. If someone says, well, what do you believe? You can say, I believe in the way. Well, what do you believe? I believe in the truth. What do you believe? I believe in the life. In each case, what you're saying is you believe in Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. This bothered Saul because he thought it was blasphemy. And so he went to arrest anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound 
back to Jerusalem to face uh, jail time, arrest, and death. Now on his way, he's praying. He's praying to God. And something it says like, like light goes all around here. In my head, I just picture lightning bolts coming down all around him. He falls off of his pony or his horse or, or whatever it is. He falls to the ground. And he hears this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? He doesn't recognize who Jesus is. It's like saying, hey, who are you, sir or officer or someone bigger than me? Don't hurt me. Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now this is something important to keep in mind. This is the first promise in here for those who are called to be witnesses. First of all, following Jesus does not mean that you're not going to have bumps in the road. You are. There's going to be persecution. In fact, right now there are Christians around the world, if they have the name of Jesus on their lips, in the places of some of those pictures that I showed you of those leaders, in those places where having Jesus on your lips can be a death sentence. Jesus says in John 16, he says, I've told you all this so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will face persecution. Doesn't say you might, he says you will. But take courage, I have conquered the world. Be of good heart, be of good cheer. We are lucky in the United States that we can witness to Jesus and the worst that can happen to us is maybe someone will make fun of you. Maybe someone will call you names. Maybe someone will make you feel bad. But the the message that you have in your life and through your words is the message that changes everything. Death is defeated by it. Sin is destroyed by it. And the devil is overthrown through it. You have the message and the words of eternal life. But notice who is persecuted. Saul is coming to arrest Christians. He thinks he's serving God. Bad guys usually do. Most bad guys aren't like, like Bond villains or like Mr. Eggman or Dr. Eggman from Sonic the Hedgehog with the curly mustache. They think they're the right, they think they're good. It's by their actions that they show that they're against God. What's one of the main commandments? You shall not murder. Saul thought he was being zealous for the Lord until he meets the Lord. And who does he discover that he's been persecuting by arresting Christians? Jesus himself. When you face persecution, when you face ridicule, understand it is not you that is going through that. It is Jesus himself who's suffering with you and for you in the midst of such things. Because it's Jesus who's the problem, not you. Don't let your witness be stifled because of fear of what others will think of you. Rather, let your witness shine because of what God will think of you. After this, Jesus says, Saul, go into Damascus and I will tell you what to do. And we read that Saul goes and he fasts for three days. It's a sign of repentance. Neither eating nor drinking and is in prayer. He's blind. He can't see anything after seeing the glory of the Lord, after seeing Jesus. But then we hear about this guy named Ananias. 
Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Now I don't have to tell you anything more about Ananias because I'm sure all of you know everything about Ananias that he's talked about constantly, that you learned about him in Sunday school, confirmation, uh, high school, you learned about him in college, in school, probably one of the best known figures in all of history. Am I right? You probably never heard a thing about Ananias, have you? Where was Ananias born? We don't know. Where did Ananias die? We don't know. How did he die? No clue. What do we know about Ananias? He was a follower of Jesus who lived in Damascus. He lived a quiet, peaceful life. But he listened for the Lord. And when the Lord called, he responded. He responded as a witness. He responded as an evangelist. He responded as God's chosen instrument. Right where he was. Now, some of you might think, like, I don't think I could be a Saul. Saul had to suffer a lot. And Saul had a huge impact. I'm not famous. You're not famous. When my life is done, my legacy is not that DJ was the greatest preacher who everyone came to faith because of him. That's not me. What I would want my legacy to be uh, on my deathbed is that someone would say, I was a good man. That's what I want. That's, that's, that's what I feel called to be. Not every one of us is called to be God's chosen instrument like Saul. But every single one of us can be Ananias. A little bit about Ananias. I'm going to share with you another Ananias named Albert. Any of you ever heard of Albert McMacken? Every one of us can be Albert. Let me tell you about Albert. Back in 1934, Albert was tackled by Jesus. And he was a farmer. He was a dairy farmer in North Carolina. And he was wanting to live his faith and tell others about Jesus. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go and start to be a preacher. What he did was he would invite the people around him to come to church with him. And he would load them in the back of his dairy truck. Everyone that he saw, all of his friends, and they would go to church together. Now there was one young guy that he really wanted to invite to church. It's the, the spirit just kept putting it on him to, you got to invite this kid. 15-year-old kid who did, wanted nothing to do with Christians. He thought Christians were a bunch of fanatics. He was much more interested and busy falling in and out of love with the latest girl uh, week in and week out. He wanted nothing to do with Christians. Well, God kept putting it on Albert's heart. Invite him to church. Invite him to church. Invite him to church. One day, he finally convinced him to come to church if he let him drive the dairy truck. So this 15-year-old is behind the wheel, goes to church with Albert, goes inside. He leaves, not convinced of anything yet, but... That was the beginning of him continuing to go back again and again to experience the divine service, to hear the word of God. Because of Albert McMacken, we got Billy Graham. Outside of Billy Graham, the most influential Christian, outside of Jesus, I should say, is Jesus, 
Paul, and by numbers, Billy Graham. Millions of people have said that they confess Jesus as Lord and Savior because of the witness of Billy Graham. And there would have been no Billy Graham if there wasn't Albert. You and I may not be Billy Graham. We may not be Saul. But you are all Anna and you are all Albert. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard much about this man. Maybe you feel the same way. God keeps whispering in your ear, invite, invite, tell this person about me. And you're thinking, do you know what kind of person that is? That's what Ananias says to Jesus. Do you know how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem? Isn't that kind of a funny statement? Lord, are you sure you're making the right choice here? All of us have that doubt. Ananias does too. And Ananias had an added problem. He was told to go and be a witness to the person who had the authority to arrest him and kill him. How much evil has he done? But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I want to share with you again, chosen instrument. I showed you what instrument meant before. The word is uh, skaos, skaos, and the word for instrument can also be translated as vessel. A vessel is a container for holding something. What are we called to hold? Do you remember back in Acts 1.8, what are you filled with? You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Forget about your doubts, forget about your fears, forget about anything that would keep you from living and pointing to Jesus. Because you have the Holy Spirit, God will give you power because he is with you. A vessel also means a person into whom some quality such as grace is infused. Make no mistake, friends, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your lips that God, if you confess that with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you have the Holy Spirit. You have everything that you need. You are God's chosen instrument. Jesus goes on and he says, For I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. For the name of Jesus, the name above all names, for the way, our suffering is not equal. The word suffer there also is a synonym for discipleship. Your discipleship and my discipleship aren't necessarily going to be the same. But they're both where we are used as God's chosen instrument for precise work to invite, to include, to expand the kingdom of God, to invite more to come and experience the love of God and the love for people that is the spirit of this place. It's what God has called us to do. The chosen instrument is someone who is a person chosen for a specific divine service. As I mentioned, when we come to worship together, this is known historically as the divine service. That's why God brings us together because when we come to this place, when we invite others to experience what we are experienced, here we get fed, we get nurtured, we get rested, we get strengthened in order to carry out the witness, the evangelism, in order to be the instrument we are called to be, chosen to be by God. So let me show you all that you need to be equipped to be a witness for Jesus. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight, S-I-G-H-D, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the first thing is being filled with the Holy Spirit. What has Ananias brought to Saul? The first thing he's brought him is the word. 
the word from God, the word of God for Ananias. This announcement is known as the gospel, that God has chosen in his magnificence and omnipotence to choose a sinner like you, and that through faith in him, all of your sins are forgiven and your life is transformed, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be my witness. So he's brought him the word. This is why worship is so important because we need to hear that word again and again and again because our life is not a quick witness. It's a marathon. It's all lifelong. It's like Ananias. But there's something else that's given. Not only the word is he given. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Through word and sacrament, Saul is called and chosen to be the instrument of God. This is what worship is all about. It's gathering around Jesus where he promises to be. It's why we're to invite people to church. So that they can meet Jesus where he promises to be. In his word preached and his sacraments given. The sacrament is the physical gospel. It's the promise that was given in your baptism. If you ever wonder, have I been chosen to be God's instrument? Are you baptized? The answer is yes. Because in your baptism, you were marked with the cross of Christ and sealed with the Holy Spirit now and forever. God spoke through his preacher to announce that you have been called and chosen, that your name is known by God and you are given a new name by God, which is child of God on account of faith in Jesus Christ. You can deny your baptism until you're blue in the face, but the promise does not go away. It is always there. Even if you fade, even if you sin, even if you fall, even if you lapse, you can turn back to Jesus, have your sins forgiven, and be renewed through the word and through the sacrament. You come here, you're going to receive the sacrament today, which is where Jesus promises to be for you in such a way that you can grab a hold of him. And in the eating and the drinking of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, you receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You literally receive Jesus physically where he promises to be in your body. That's why the Lord's Supper is so important. Word and sacrament is what commissions you to be a witness for Jesus, to live for him and to tell others about him. Now what happens? He immediately the word proclaimed is, is like saying told. He immediately went and told others about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. The one who hated Christians and thought they were blaspheming the world because they said Jesus is the son of God is now confessing with his lips that Jesus is indeed the son of God. He is the son of God for you. And you, and you, here in our Jerusalem, and in our Judea and Samaria, North Dakota and Minnesota, and to the end of the earth. We don't need to leave FMSC as something that we've done and moving on to something else. There we learn the lessons of how to be witnesses to the world by inviting others to come and experience the grace that you have experienced. And so hear the gospel anew this day which is the promise of your baptism and will be given to you in the sacrament. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was born for you. He lived for you. He suffered for you. And he died for you on the cross. And in so doing, anything that would separate you from him has been overcome. Your sin, your death, the power of the devil have all been destroyed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is all for you. Amen.